Craig is back tomorrow in the US, it seems. Yeah, but it, again, he's a his absence is a good luck charm. That uh-huh. is undoubted at this point, statistically proven. Um, I mean, we're unbeaten. Yeah, uh, he's going to have to. You know, we we'll have to see. We we'll have to see about this. Yeah, we'll have to. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to do some serious vetting to allow this to come back. Because, um, <clears throat> as you said, we're at seven points from nine uh, since Craig left the building. It's a tough sell getting back in it. Really? Yeah, yeah. He's. Uh, I'm trying to think what's a, what's an interesting equivalent when he comes into when he leaves the team. We before he's like, maybe he's like Lukaku. He's our uh, Antonio Brown. Yeah, after today. Oh, Did you God. see that today? Uh, yeah. Uh, I just I woke up from my nap to see these various images of a topless man jumping <laughs> jumping around the end zone. Yeah. Yeah, good uh, evening, uh, Mikey and Enoch on the door hello, in hello. the chat. Uh, this is episode 157. Uh, for those of you wondering who Antonio Brown is for that Venn diagram of NFL and football not mixing together, uh, he is a NFL wide receiver, so they catch the ball from the quarterback generally. Uh, he's a bit of a nutcase. Um, a bit. And today he decided midway through the game uh, that he was simply going to strip off. Uh, he took off his shirt. He took off all his Under Armour stuff. He took off all of his actual Under Armour, uh, you know, like the tight T-shirts, all the monitoring equipment. Everything was off, thrown into the crowd, thrown around the area, uh, everything off, just all sorts of bits and pieces coming off the poor fella. Um, And then psyched up the crowd as he ran off and then disappeared down the tunnel, never to be seen again. There's the the latest picture that's come out as him standing outside of the stadium. Um, trying to get an Uber because they, they wouldn't allow him to go back. He's off the team completely now. They cut yeah. him um, before flying home with him. It, it, it's, it's the most impressive rage quit that I've seen in sports. Uh, the, the funniest thing amazing. is they then went on to win it. Uh, yeah, yeah. They were two touchdowns behind and they went on to win the game, um, which was wonderful. Uh, the poor fella clearly has CTE. Um, He's got something. It's funny to watch, but... I think in in 20 to 30 years time, if he gets that far, uh, scientists with the brain that inevitably gets donated may well make it not so much of a laughing matter. Uh, it, yeah, there's there's definitely there's definitely <coughs> something something going on there. Yes, but uh, but in, in more positive news, yes, uh, we are two days into 2022, um, and we have just beaten Everton at Goodison Park for the first time ever. Um, they did not make it easy in classic Albion fashion, um, but they got the job done in the end. Uh, Albion three, Everton two, uh, went two nil up and three one up on the day. Uh, there are a couple of changes. Uh, Lamptey was out, Moda was out. Uh, who else was out? Lamptey, Moda, and Sonny March. Is that right? Yes, yeah, because we, we had have Webster Trussard, come in, Webster. And Wepu. And Wepu. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of demons exercised in this game because it was the first win at Goodison. We scored, we actually scored three goals this season. Believe that. Yeah. Uh, two goals were scored by a single player in one game and we scored a goal from a corner. So um, a lot of things uh, conspired to mean that uh, it wasn't a miserable day in Liverpool for our team. Um 
great performance. Again, as you say, there were times where it was very worrying in this for good swathes of that second half. I think we were just sort of messaging each other, just saying this isn't going to go well. I don't, I think we've been instilled over the, over the, the last, I guess, however many games of this season to, to, to almost want to be, almost want to be down to, to be able to come back and score that last minute equalizer or last minute winner. So being ahead is a horribly weird feeling that is not entirely comfortable, at least for me to watch. Uh, Mikey in the chat has just put out a smasher of a stat out there. Uh, Alexis McAllister is only the third player for us to have scored two Premier League goals in one game. Uh, Murray and Mope, the other two, to have been able to do that. And Alex has also noted that first time to have scored three goals this season, as you said. Um, Yeah, mental, really. And, And also starting off quickly and well and making the most of those chances. Because we seem to either start incredibly slowly, which we've talked about way, way more than we should have, or the times we do start well, we sit here and usually have been saying this season, it's a shame we didn't capitalize when we started well, because we went on to only draw or lose. Um, And yeah, we did everything. I I put a little tweet out with the check mark of all the things we've talked about on the pod and us actually seemingly being able to do all of them. Well, there was also some some slight sort of tactical shifts that were different from that rather horrible game that we played against Everton earlier this season. For them, it was because of some of the the, the issues they have with injuries. Obviously, no Richarlison. Uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin uh, is um, uh, was back, thankfully, because clearly he wasn't ready. Yeah. Uh, but they lined up in a sort of. Uh, the five at the back, five four one sort of set up, sort of a with the wingers pushed up a little bit. But but we came out with a four at the back, um, hence the the lengthy droppings. So Veltman played it right back for us. Cucurella played it left back, um, and then we switched obviously part way through the game and we moved. Lamptey came on and we went to that five at the back system to shore things up a little bit. But I, I like it. I like when we play this sort of either whatever you want to call it four two 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 or four four two. Um, I like when we play that. It allows us to play more direct football. Um, we saw the fruits of that. And I also think with Mwepu and McAllister in the team, we are set up in that regard to play a, a lot more assertively. And it means that we can just have our players make direct runs, nice passes that go straight through the middle, and things uh, like the goal within two, three minutes of what happens from that. And what we don't get is when we play, we typically play this more sort of slower build-up play, five at the back, push up the wing-back style that we typically do, that's when we get these slower burn games. And it was nice to see this more direct football today. Yeah, and, and on that point exactly, you know, what was it? The fourth game of the season, fifth game of the season was Everton. Um, and one of the main areas that really contributed to us getting beaten was the midfield. We were dominated in the middle of the park, uh, badly uh, and Alan and Decore were the same two there then they're there now they're um, number today yeah totally over overrun um, even the NBC commentator was astute enough to notice it which is really rare um, <laughs> when, when someone in the commentary box can see that you are just being mauled in the midfield uh, because of the way we set out um, tells you just how bad it was uh, on the Everton perspective um, and also on top of that, as you said, Richarlison is always going to be a big miss. 
Um, but the the added miss of Luca Dina as well, who was sat on the bench, uh, who's liable to be long gone uh, yeah. from Liverpool before the end of January, um, I think helped a great deal as well because at that point you were quite lopsided in that you didn't have much of an attacking threat as a, as an oppo- as an opposed fullback. Um, I'd I tweeted about it and people took it very strangely, but I noted that Lamptey wasn't in the team. And he had played an hour and a half of football um, to what against Brentford. He played the full 90 minutes and then he played an hour yeah. uh, just two days ago against Chelsea. So I wasn't bothered about the rest. I understood them being rest 100%. But I was interested to see how we were going to deal with Damari Gray today, given that Lamptey was clearly a big miss because we were left putting out, I think we had Dan Byrne at left back and Feltman at right back last time, or Gross even, I think. It's no, Pascal we Gross. were playing Pascal Gross at, at right wing back and Jakob Moder at left wing back when we played Everton early this season. And we paid for it badly. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, it seems that, that the tactical decision that Rafa decided on was to have Damari Gray spend most of the first half attacking Kukurea on the other side of the pitch. Um, bizarre and great. Because Cuckoo just barely broke a sweat having to deal with Damari Gray. Um, as you said, a Rolls-Royce player that is not going to be in an Albion shirt for long if he continues at this rate. Um, wasn't in amongst all of the goals and assists today, but he was still just quietly outstanding, I think, um, in doing a job with their team. Um, Enoch on the door in the chat says, don't know if it's just me, but our forwards seem to be really sharp at the moment. Like the touches are silky AF. I, it's hard to disagree with that. The the summit we've talked about for ages is the just we wish we would take that one extra less touch with the extra shots. If that makes sense, like just don't don't take so many passes. Be more willing to hit the ball. Um, and it seems that especially over these last couple of games, we've done that. This is what you get when you play players like McAllister and Mwepu. Uh, and you saw Wepu. Wepu Wepu's touches made two of the goals. Yep. Um, and then, you know, five minutes later, he can't pass to the player five yards in front of him or to the side of him. Like He's, he's a very weird player. Um, and he's still getting used to it. But that's what you get with these players. And I don't know if you noticed, and I think, who are we to say anything but good things about this man? But Trossard... Trossard takes a long time on the ball and quite a lot of the time, I don't know if you noticed, but he delays a pass when there's a direct through ball opportunity that could potentially have tends to take that little extra touch and dance around the player and then bring the other players back to build up the the move. I think Trossard typically prefers to play with that system with the wing backs where he slows things up, dances around. He's got someone overlapping him and he passes the ball out wide and starts to get into the box. Whereas if you give it to McAllister, if you give it to Mwepu, they just go, bam, let's get the ball forward. And I think there's going to be a little bit of learning that happens to get everyone on the same page, depending on whether we're playing these two different formational setups, because they demand different things from the players and the different personnel that we have have different results. But I think what you're seeing with, with the strikers having these sort of quote-unquote silky touches now, that's part and parcel of the form of play that we're putting out and some of the players that there, Mope is capable of these things. He's just not really been asked to do those things when we typically play with the sort of five system. Yeah, and just to just to touch on the overall stats, right, that 
like I just wanted to point out, there's not much to discuss today in terms of that because everything was very much even keel. Possession was too, not too yeah. far away, shots not too far, all of it. You go on who scored or sofa score, everything's quite evenly matched. It's um, a good game for the neutral, as, as, as they were saying, and why it made us feel awkward. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were, I think we lost the XG by 0.17 or something like that, so not much in that either. Yeah. Um, penalty. It was really, well that skews it. Penalty big time, yeah. It was, it was really a case of tactical battles all over the pitch, um, which is why I'd rather spend the time talking about those individual battles. I know that... I like to throw a lot of those overarching stats out there. There ain't anything really to say that's worth talking about. So um, it's it's more worth the chat that we're having in terms of those those big players. I would rather I'd rather just drop it in here so people didn't think we were just ignoring that out of our excitement. Um, but it, there just wasn't much to. There discuss. wasn't. There's not much on there. But I, I, this is sort of testament to how Potter's learned though uh, with with the system that he's put out today. With, with what Everton presented in the last game and obviously the squad and players they have available to them now. He obviously saw what happened last time and, and I think we understood that the, the risk element with playing Everton is that you've got some challenging pace on the wings. Okay, let's figure out how to deal with that. And then you've got these two powerhouses that sit deep and anchor their midfield, protect the defence and then start to build up play and spread it out wide. And the system that he played today just nullified a lot of that, or at least dampened it. Because, again, to the surprise of everyone, you had a player that no one expected to really be massively involved in the game in in um, in Gordon, Anthony Gordon, be their sort of main outlet. And that's part of the way that Potter set this system up. They had to find another solution because the normal guys weren't getting it done. Yeah, um, there are a couple of great little things in the comments here that I do want to touch on. Uh, Mikey said he pulled that stat from Sky Sports, the two goals in a game, Murray Mopay and now Maka. Uh, not true. Of all people, Mr. Middlesbrough himself also scored two for Spurs, didn't he? Um, so We don't speak sorry, of him anymore. Um, he who shall not be named, uh, who has gone far up north uh, and long may he play there. Uh, Marty in the chat. Hey lads, quite a start to Macca's Ballon d'Or campaign. Um, <laughs> he's, I mean, it's it's something we definitely want to talk about here because uh, it is not a coincidence. I don't think that in these last couple of games, uh, Alex started or at least got a plenty of minutes. Um, Alex in the chat has also noted that it was almost bad that he forgot Trossard was on the pitch today. Uh, thus was the contribution of that entire midfield, um, which is something we've talked about as well at length. Um, the, the the need to have more than just Trossard and Mope doing something. Um, and they did that with such effectiveness today, it almost allowed Trossard a day off to relax and not have to worry about carrying the team on his back. It was it was really nice. Um, and uh, Mr. Everly, I think that's going to be, uh, they expect everything to click for Enoch next season. Um, it may be sooner than that. We he's are close. He's showing he is big close. signs, isn't he? And quickly coming from where he came from, he is showing. He is obviously being groomed in the same way Alexis was coming from Boca, um, and it it's taken him eighteen months to get there. Enoch is moving a lot quicker, I think, um, through those motions of of learning and, and understanding the game. Um, and he came from Austria. So, you know, 
Boca Juniors would probably walk into the Austrian Premier League and win the title nine times out of ten, um, you would think. So, very impressive. Well, he's... Well, he was. We talked about man, man of the match for us against Brentford, um, if I remember correctly. Two assists today. We know what he did against Liverpool. Uh, there are flashes of brilliance there. The big thing that he's missing that we hinted at a little bit earlier is the consistency, and everyone can see that. There's a number of times when he receives the ball and he's building up play and you just roll your eyes and it's just... There was a point in the 92nd minute where he was walking to the corner flag with Mope and he just sort of just screwed it up and the ball just went out and Mope was <laughs> furious at him. These are just things that you just hope he's going to be... You know, he's a, he's a national team captain. He's played high-level football in Europe in... Um, you know, I know you say, obviously, it's not a particularly competitive league, but he did play European football. He's, he's going to get there. Um, and we're... I'll take the weapon we have today already just based on the last handful of games compared to what we saw early in the season, where I think we were all collectively as a fan base thinking to ourselves, Oh God, have we, is this another Ali Reza Jahang bash on our hands? And it, I don't believe that's going to be the case. He's already surpassed Jahang bash in like three games of contribution. <laughs> yeah. Three appearances. Um, yeah. Before we get onto the two goals that Enoch was so important on, um, the second one was especially filthy. Uh, we've been talking, especially me, I've been a loud proponent of offering something different up front uh, for players like Mope to play off of. Um, if Neil Mope is going to suddenly find the ability to play the kind of cushion header that any <laughs> top-level target man would be happy for, uh, then maybe not. That cushion down header for McAllister was outright... Like, most of our listeners have played the game. For those that haven't, the difficulty in the ability to cushion that header down in the way he did, you cannot state enough how hard that is. My head is more like a 50p piece. I couldn't do that very often at all. That was an incredibly good touch. And the the comfort that Maka had to took that away um, just shows you the high he's ride nonsense coming into the squad. So I'm, I've got the highlights running as we're talking here, and I've, I've just put this goal back on. And um, so McAllister is the one that starts this move, runs into the centre of the field, passes the ball out to Veltman, who takes a one-touch cross straight onto Mope, who delivers that amazing cushion header. And you, he sees McAllister just glide past him in a split second. That means that he does that. There was no one else, really. He would have just have to head it back and hope for the best. And just finishes with a plomb that so he started and finished that move you don't get that when he's not in the team um and you're right you've been banging the drum for a long time at this point that the problem is not mope the problem is this the the, the the surrounding cast for mope and he hasn't really had one up top with well back out and other players just not being there McAllister on his day is it and Wepu certainly can contribute to that as we've seen as well yeah it was it was outstanding and so fast what more can you ask for um six minutes later John Joe Kenny got himself in the book a couple of nasty challenges today weren't there um a couple of ones that were slightly higher than the ball should have been uh I don't know whether it's 
I've heard, I mean, a, a lot of Liverpool fans on social media were just insisting that's because they're dirty. Um, and it may or may not come from a biased point of view. Um, but I will note that it could it could have just been tiredness as well, uh, or rather just a lack of sharpness from the fact that they haven't played in almost three weeks. Um, but there were a lot of them today. They were lucky to get away with one booking all game. Uh, they They could have had several today with some of the challenges they were throwing in. They could have. I think this was what this this thirty something year old ref second Premier League game mm-hmm. um, in a uh, sort of hotbed in at Goodison Park where the fans were getting rowdy. I thought we did a good job. Uh, it's one of those ones where you either have to start showing the cards early and it turns into one of these sort of just circuses, or you just try and keep it a little bit chill, let some of these these challenges go and, and see how that works out. I think we ended with, what, two yellow cards overall in the game as a whole. Obviously, he did give the penalty after consultation with VAR. Didn't just ha- He didn't just immediately point to the spot because of that shoulder barge. Again, the other side of Mwepu, when he makes a bit of a boneheaded decision there when he didn't really need to. Bit soft of the penalty decision. I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more. But I thought it was decent overall. It's more of a... I'll take a game where there isn't just flagrant, horrible refereeing. Um, I'll, I'll consider this a win, even if they were playing a little bit day, unless we just were normally walking away aggrieved with like three different things. And yeah, we didn't have that today. It, seems, it feels like both sides are. Even if we got beat 2-0, I feel like the, the, the other side comes away going like, uh, yeah, we won, but I'm still annoyed at some of the shit the ref's done. So uh, yeah. it was it was a quieter performance from him, which is nice. Um Second checkbox of the day, corners, set pieces, making the most of them. Um, the first the first kind of split second that ball came in. I know what I you're thought, thinking. Oh brilliant. Let's not let's not beat the first man, shall we? First man, yeah. Yeah. the uh, first man actually turned out to be Enoch Mapu, um, who obviously doesn't know where he's going with that ball. Um, he's hoping that it's gonna find someone appropriate. Uh, but the touch itself to nod it on was mwah, chef's kiss it was the picture perfect nod on for the far at the, at the near post that you've ever seen um and yeah. there are times i mean just this week uh where you've just turned around and gone what was that marking from a set piece um neil mope and dan burn were all on their they were the two closest people to each other um at the back post yeah and no matter how dodgy Dan Byrne in the air can be he didn't even need to move he just kind of no his his, his, his body sort of took over and and just scored it for him but Adam Webster was also sort of standing around that area Everton was just they didn't they didn't they weren't awake for the start of this game but let's not take away two fantastic headers that created goals um and and two great finishes Mwepu did everything that could be expected from him in that position. God knows why. And I know we complained last week as to, um, again, what day it is, against Chelsea where we had, was it Neil? It was Mope marking Lukaku. Well, they had Alan marking Mwepu. Alan's like five foot three. So that didn't work for them, or it would have hit the first man, but the first man was Alan. Uh, and then just, you know, great finish. Uh, great, great nod on. Can't ask much more than that. Uh, we we may well uh, have actually sent Lukaku packing out of the Premier League as well. Yeah, worth absolutely. About. Um, <laughs> Disaster class. I, I love that not only did we cause a, a, a too short meltdown, 
but now we've also their 96 million pound striker has basically just come out and said, I don't really like it here. <laughs> yeah, we there was a point in time where we were getting a lot of managers sacked. Um, it was almost like a really nice coincidence where we were, I think it was like three in the space of a month, we played them, beat them on one of our really good runs in October or November or something like that where we won like three out of four and like that probably is what made us safe that year. And three of those four ended up with managers being sacked. Um, we seem to have just yeah. moved down to players now because uh, <laughs> Lukaku after that game, like you said, he just came out and said, actually, I, I hate it here. Please send me away. Um, so that was wonderful. Uh, yeah. I, just what a bizarre bizarre situations but if you've got a Chelsea fan just a weird one to sort of witness go down oh yeah things are going all right oh we've lost a few games or we've drawn a few games oh actually suddenly like our star player now decides he hates the club what is it what has happened there what a weird series of events uh and Tuchel's outbursts I know we didn't really have a chance to talk about this because we recorded straight after the game last time but um it's it's all the crap of Jurgen Klopp's little childish toys being thrown out the pram, but without any of the sort of charisma when things are going well. Because Jurgen, you take both, right? You're like, all right, okay, he's a, he seems like a really nice guy, but he's going to get stroppy when he loses or doesn't win. Tuchel's just a bit morose and then seemingly gets flustered. Uh, not a good look for them. Not a good look for Chelsea Football Club, but funny for us hilarious for us you love to see it you really do um i know mikey's saying in the chat that we finished off pochettino that's definitely one of the ones that we uh we conquered on the way through um mikey he did yeah and you're right Lukaku did that interview a few weeks ago but he followed up he was texting tim howard today talking about his frustration so he, he was doubling down on it after the game um just very bizarre and, and you know saying the interfans don't want to back here's here's a hot take for you Lukaku to Spurs, Kane to Chelsea. It will never happen, but stranger things have. It wouldn't surprise me if Lukaku stayed in England. He wanted to come back to England. He's he's That interview he did was saying that he's not happy with the way Tuchel's playing him. So it's more of a manager thing than a club thing. Um, Tuchel's so I mean, not going to go anywhere anytime soon, though, is he? No, he's not. Um, why would he? He's got the team playing pretty well without him. So um, the penalty shout itself, uh, soft. I thought it was soft as well. Yep. Um, on the whole of things, though, like, is it a penalty? Yeah, probably. I think my one gripe I have is I see that in one in every two of Tarek Lamptey's games in the box, and they're very rarely given. Um, it's probably one of those things for me that stands out. Uh, just a lack of consistency again, really. Um, Wepu should know better than that but as you said he's he's going to have boneheaded decisions every now and again um, thankfully came to nothing um, I'm not sure horrible if watched, penalty not sure if you watched one of the replays they showed after full time because I had it on still for a little bit while we were getting to the Chelsea Liverpool game um, but they showed a penalty replay from actually facing forward like looking at it from behind DCL's body um, and I'm pretty certain that even if it was on target, Sanchez had that bank to rights, which is a nice change because it feels like he always goes the wrong way. But if you look at it back, I'm, he's got 
that I think that could have been what made him bottle it more than anything is he went the exact right way as well. Yeah, who knows? I mean, Sanchez, is a, he's a big body. Um, so when he gets this the right way, he's going to have a chance. <laughs> so there is that. Well, not, to, not to be said about the keepers of the past. Um, it, I think if Wepu, back to the decision, I think if Wepu had just hit in the shoulder, they would have, we would have got away with that. Um, the fact that it went just and caught him in the, the back, is what changed that from an old school shoulder barge where maybe he gives it, maybe he doesn't into, he's just pushed him over with his, with his shoulder into his back. That was a bit of a shame, but um, yeah, hopefully he, he learns from that, but thankfully spared his blushes by, by coming back in a big way in the, in the second half with an audacious flick for Alexis, but we'll get onto that. Yeah. Halftime. Uh, we were looking pretty comfortable. Um, tune it up. Everything's looking pretty good. Uh, I think the murmur around the ground was probably the same one that was going around my house or really just what I was telling my wife and she was nodding along. Um, <laughs> there is no way that they're going to come out and play as poorly in the second half as they did in the first, uh, Everton. Um, and they didn't. They started off pretty well on the front foot um, and they were given a bit of a gift from Everton fan Adam Lallana. Uh, with the uh, yeah, with the with the shot from Anthony Gordon uh, that Sanchez definitely had covered because I'm not sure it was on target. Um, being totally rerouted to the other side of the net, um, and it was pretty much the dream start, and it it changed everything from this comfortable performance by the Albion into this. Well, as you said, this great game for the neutrals, but an absolute nerve wracker for us for the next 45 minutes. Yeah, these things happen, though. Um, uh, unfortunately, Lallana overall played well, uh, but he had a couple of absolutely horrendous passes uh, that that really just enabled some counter-attacking that occurred. But yeah, this one wasn't really his fault. Put his body in the way. Scott unlucky. Um, the, the problem was was the timing of that. Like, you don't want to get unlucky just to galvanise their team out of the blocks into the second half. And it felt like suddenly we were under the cosh then um, for the next sort of 15 minutes until things changed again. Yeah. And, and Alex in the chat said that we rode the storm well. Um, And I think that's probably the best way to put it. Um, We, is my, is my fire alarm beeping? No, I just, it looks like it's uncovered. Oh, they're wired. They're not batteried. So they're uh, over here, at least in North Carolina, they have to be like wired in um, to the to the electrical system as opposed to batteries, Mikey. Well, when Dan Burns scores, <laughs> all fire alarms potentially go off. That is so, true. It's, yes. It's a, it's a horrible <laughs> joke. Uh, yeah. Uh, but we did. We did ride the storm really well. Um, and massive props has to go to Potter here because it took him – seven minutes to make wholesale tactical changes yeah. when he realized we were under the cosh. Something we have not done. I don't think ever. Um, Potter's faith in his players that are on the pitch is admirable and has been a pretty consistent thing for him. Today, whether it was a case of just him learning again, like becoming more decisive in that way, or the 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 constant run of games and the need to be able to rotate them 
whichever one it was or if it was a bit of both. 61 minutes in, seven minutes after the goal celebrations were all over and done with, Shade Duffy and Tarek Lamptey come on, Veltman and Lalana off. And as you said, uh, we then reverted to that three at the back with wingbacks, uh, with Lamptey and Kukurea out wide. Duffy fitting in the middle um, and, and Webster burn on either side of him. Um, and from then onwards, uh, up until the goal, we looked at, we weathered the storm well, but the storm had well and truly passed by that point. We looked a lot more comfortable uh, and had really got back into the game. And, and at that point, either team looked like they were going to be the next to score instead of just them. Yeah, uh, as soon as you saw, when, when we heard oh, double substitution coming, I was hoping we would switch it up and, and move to that three slash five at the back just to shore things up a little bit more. So as you say, really nice to see him make a pragmatic decision as opposed to one where uh, he's forced into it at the end of a game. Because Potter seems to, I don't know, over the last handful of games, we got into that situation where we were sort of making like three substitutions with 20 minutes to go and then we'd lose someone to injury or whatever. And, and they were always sort of reactive substitutions. This this felt like, let's get ahead of this. Like we're, we're still winning. Let's make sure that it doesn't turn the tide. Um, so really, really good from him. Yeah I, yeah, I don't think enough can be said. Uh, and, you know, I saw it all over Twitter. There was a lot of people who I know for a fact, username-wise, bitch a lot about that. And today they're all very happy, so at least they're consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all very happy to see those decisive changes being made. Um, and not, what, about 10 minutes later, uh, the, the decisions paid off. Um, Neil Mope, again, one of the starters of this, he ran almost the full length of the pitch, uh, or rather the full length of that half, um, before bouncing back a little bit. Uh, and, you know, obviously one thing led to another. Um, Everton were just shocking uh, at clearing their lines. Um, and Enoch Wepu put together a filthy touch uh, to just essentially lay off McAllister. Um and Maka will not hit many sweeter than that in all of his career. Uh, Pickford had no goalkeeper in the world to save it at all. None of them. Um, it was an unbelievable strike. Uh, that is one that you see unfolding and then you go, oh, God, that would have been such a good goal if it went in. Um, and you're like, oh, well done for trying it. Like, it's nice to see it. The fact that that went in, and as you say, like, there were a lot of players involved in that. It was a horrible clearance. Then even big Dan Byrne was pushing up. Trossard was out on the wing, slowed the play down, but it actually worked here because he picked out Mwepu, who I, I, I guess he, the funny thing with Mwepu is you, you sort of, you never know whether he's fully intending what he's doing, but when it works, it looks amazing and it looked amazing. And then he just absolutely cracks that into the, into the top corner. Um, I'm watching it going right uh, now. That's, that's one that I think at the end of the season, we look back on and we go, that was, uh, uh, it looks better than Wepu's goal against Liverpool for me, just in terms of how it all ended up. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, this was intentional, <laughs> and, and I've been saying I have been saying this since the first since we saw him in preseason. Uh, before I'd even had you guys come on board, and I had a couple of people in the chat. I think at the time told me I was like effing bonkers. I'm telling you, Enoch Wepu. As time goes on, 
is going to be remembered as a Premier League level Bass Savage. He, you never know. You never quite know if yeah. he does it on purpose, but the moments of magic the guy produces too consistently to be accidental tells you yes. that he's actually quite good. He's actually very good at his level. Bass was excellent at that level. And uh, that makes me then second guess because when the li- when he scored that goal against Liverpool, I was adamant that it was a cross. But now the more these things keep happening, I'm now like maybe this crazy bastard actually meant it. Uh, he is one yeah. more. He is one moonwalk away from fulfilling the prophecy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was it was a hell of a strike, um, and Maka bags a brace. Um, well deserved as well. Five freaking minutes later, nothing's easy at the Albion. Uh, they concede what ended up being a really tidy goal as well. Uh, <laughs> we got carved apart there. Absolutely yeah. carved apart. Um, th- yeah, there's not much more to, to say, really. They 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 passed it around us beautifully. Uh, and, and Anthony Gordon slot, slotted it away. Easy peasy. Um, and squeaky bomb time then for the next 15, 20-ish minutes without it on time. Um <laughs> And here's the downside with McAllister. He was covering Kukureta come inside a little bit to cover a defender. Maka was then tasked with going out to cover John Joe Kenny on the wing. Didn't really do a very good job of it. He got tons of space to then put that ball in for, for, for Gordon to get on the end of it. Um, that's the downside. And where you'll see potentially in bigger games where we simply still can't necessarily play McAllister just because he doesn't have the defensive positional awareness. And 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 that's that's okay if he does what he does at the other end of the pitch. It's those games where he seems ineffective. And his, his, his pass completion is still not where I'd like to see it, by the way. He's he's for for all of the talent that he has, he he's not in the 80-90% pass range by any means at the moment. Um but he if he does the audacious and he he scores goals you then deal with the downsides, which is which is what kind of was part of this goal. Yeah. And and five minutes later, uh, Jakob Moda comes on for Trossard. Um, and just as an example, Jakob Moda is the type of player that I would much rather have had out there than Maka. And, yes. and they're the two players that can interchange and will interchange as the season goes on. Yep. Uh, Moda doesn't give John Joe Kenny half the time he got uh with with Maka. And and again, that's not a slight on Maka because he scored two goals that Moda probably wouldn't have. So you're giving your take. Um, yes. Again, if he does the thing that he's on the pitch to do, all is forgiven. Uh it's when he doesn't do anything, misplaces passes and then is lax on his defensive duties, that's when he gets taken off at 55 minutes. Yeah. Uh there was some squeaky bomb time. Um but not too much of it. I expected Really, I expected us to really sit back um, and invite the pressure on. But a mixture of being able to hit them on the counter-attack still and being willing to, Mwepu especially, despite how mental he was with some of his touches really late there, um, and Everton's total inability to replicate anything close to what they did for that second goal. Um, I mean, there was twice in, in added on time where you thought, oh, okay, here we go. Let's let's see Shane Duffy and Co get tested here, um, and they couldn't even loft a ball into the box. It it was shunted along the ground, and Tarek Lamptey took hold of it and ran out twice. Um, yep. 
And and Tarek Lamptey is a foul winning machine. So there was only one way that was going to go. And he bought us, you know, 30 seconds of time in the 91st minute that we desperately needed. Um, and I think he did the exact same thing as the whistle went for full time. Um, comfortable in the end, um, in that last couple of minutes compared to what I thought we were going to be. And yes, could have been a lot worse, part due to the, the way that Potter changed the system up and the players that he brought in to, to solidify things. Part of it's because Everton are not a particularly good football team right now. Um, and well, I think Benitez is still the favourite to be fired. Um, if they're going to fire him, they might fire him over this break period. It's unlikely. But um, the fans don't have any you know, heartfelt sympathies for him at the moment, really, do they? He, he came into the club in ill circumstances too. But yeah. they're not in a good spot. They've not been on a good run. They were fortunate enough to beat Arsenal recently, but outside of that, they've been pretty terrible. Um, they are suffering from these problems and these injuries, but, um, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming back from being out for a long time, no Richarlison, Gray was dangerous at the end, but not a ton of goal-scoring weapons on that team. They're, they're, they're standout players, Allen and Ducore, don't really score goals. Um, Townsend is out too. So there's, yeah, there'll be harder days for us, but a 3-2 away at Goodison to mean that we go away for this this cup break with seven points in three games after the slide we went on is incredible show of um, togetherness and stability in this team to come back from that. Yeah, and and it already started, right? You started seeing every now and again, like one of those threads pop up on North Stand chat or something pop up on Twitter of, is this the end for Potter? And we've been very vocal that no, it's not. Um, But again, this team doesn't quit on him at all. They like the way they're playing. They like being at the Albion. This team clearly believes in what they're doing. It's the anti-Lukaku situation. They actually (laughs) want to play in this system. It is, and and I think it speaks volumes to 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 the Albion in general uh, and Potter especially because you look at Everton right I know that they said that they were winless in 11 or, or they'd won one in 11 um and I'm looking back at it now that they beat uh Norwich in September um and then they haven't won since uh except for the Arsenal game that you were talking about uh a lot of those winless games were losses not draws they mm-hmm. take a couple of draws from those and they're sat in and around where we were two weeks ago. And there's probably less complaints simply because they're still picking up points like there were for us, but the losses piled on gets a lot tougher. Um, and, and at this point, like you said, we've got 11 games winless and we'd gone from what top seven, top eight to, very quickly sliding into that bottom six if we continued careening down that path. Oh, uh, that was a real, real risk. <laughs> this would have looked very different. And, and Alex pointed out in the chat a little while ago, we've had a lot of our big players out. We went on that winless, three-month winless run, and we're eighth in the Premier League. So that shows you not only how important those 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 draws that we got at the, at the last gasp of games, but also how polarizing this league is right now but outside of the the man cities and pretty much kind of that it's a clown fiesta in this league mm-hmm. and 
picking up a point from games as we've seen. We're eighth. We didn't win a game for three months and we're eighth. That shouldn't be how that works. <laughs> That's not how this game works. Uh, so, no, it shouldn't be how that works at all. Um, thankfully, we've got some terrible sides rooted to the bottom of this this league. So, and and I think what's also worth noting here is because, and especially because of the conversations we've had, right? And one of those, namely, is life after Basuma. Uh, we're about to get a horrible look into what that looks like uh, for the next month with Palace and Leicester uh, as he goes away to Mali. The fact that the club is saying that he's going to go away to Mali and never proved it and he's going tells me that I suspect some point now uh, in the last 30 days, the stuff behind the scenes legal-wise, something has been dropped. Um these things are never yes. something that gets announced anyway. Like they're not going to come out every time they drop charges on someone. Otherwise they'd never be shut up. Um, yeah. Clearly something has, because you categorically can't leave while on bail. So someone somewhere at some point in time has either dropped something or it's been dismissed or something has to have been, uh, if he is going to travel out to Mali, which is great news, but I see a lot on social media. And I thought that those people were like making a great point of it. We can lose Bissouma sooner than we can lose Dunk. He is the lifeblood of our defense. We are, you know, what, one of the best defensive teams in the league, fourth best defensive record in terms of losses. We are, like, I think we're top six in terms of goals against. Like, we are rocking it out there. And since Lewis Dunk has been injured, for those really worried about life after Dunk, uh, since he has been injured, uh, we have gone draw, loss, win, draw, win. We've conceded one, two, four goals, uh, and two of those were today. Um, this team is becoming well-rounded enough and good enough to cover for any star under Graham. And Mikey in the chat, do you still think we're in a relegation battle? Um, no, I don't. Um, seven out of nine points from the last three games, we are going to have to have a massive meltdown to end up in trouble. Um, I'm, I'm no longer too worried about relegation after this week, which is outrageous how fast things can change. But when you go winless in 11, that can snowball very quickly. Um, and we're now, as I said, seven, seven from nine, and we're sat on 27 points. Um, there uh... becomes a lot more attainable. There are two sides in this league whose form table is five losses and that's that's Watford and Norwich um and then Burnley don't look a lot better than that either um apart from they've got hopefully they go down so Cornet can be purchased by someone else um and then I, I'm still adamant that Newcastle stay up there's already talk about Trippier going to Newcastle we've heard some other names let alone some of our technical staff heading over there which I'm sure we'll get on uh, again, I still think they survive despite the fact that they're in a precarious position. Can we go down? Is there a risk of it if we go on a similar three-month run without winning? Yes, that can happen because uh, it's, obviously it's very unlikely. But not too long ago on this podcast, we were taking the piss, as was everyone else out of Arsenal, about how they're a relegation side. Obviously, that wasn't real. They're probably going to be in the Champions League now. Things happen really quick. It's a long season. 
things turn around and change very, very, very quickly in this league. Suddenly now everyone looks at Arsenal and goes, you know what? Arteta's kind of got that group figured out. They've dropped Obama Yang. They've got some of the best young players in the Premier League firing all cylinders. Odegaard looks like Modric. And we were laughing at them. And they, we destroyed them at the Amex a couple of months ago. Things change quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely not counting the chickens yet. Um, but I was 50-50 on if we were going to end up in a genuinely tough relegation battle on Christmas Eve. Uh, I am far more on the lines of 90 to 10 now that we are not going to get ourselves dragged into that battle. I I agree. Um, I agree. And that's amazing. It's great. Wonderful. Love it. Uh, I would rather not be worried about relegation. Um, Why would anybody want to be worried about going down? Um, And we seem to have dragged ourselves out of it in the space of three games. Seems to be the way we do things too. Um, We did it a couple of years ago in March where we went on that winning run. And then we did it it may well have been March again the following year where we beat Newcastle, Southampton and someone else um, and went from in the in big trouble to... Well, don't forget the season pre-Premier League in the Championship where we're doing similar things as well with win runs and then nothing. And Yeah. I think this where this frames, and this is, this is blindingly obvious, but we were hitting the panic buttons, everyone was, a, a few weeks back. It's really not that long ago, just prior to December. Now we are we are a club. We said this before. The transfer window is open. We are a club an hour from London in a very nice town, eighth position in the league, playing football that everyone respects, managers and broadcasters alike, uh, with some really really impressive pieces in our team. If you're a player that's looking for a move. And you look up and down the Premier League. Of course, everyone wants to play in this league above all others anyway. So we're already, in the, for the most part, in a very nice position to sign players. But suddenly you start to look at some of these other clubs and you go, well, why would I go and play at Leeds? Why would I go and play at Watford? Why would I go play here? We're, we've now created a completely different scenario for us to go out and sign players, whether it be in January or depending on how long we keep this up for in the summer. That's the difference between whether you're in a relegation battle and no one cares what you're doing or whether you're impressing and you get to a position where you're a sort of a mid-table club and you start to solidify yourself in the Premier League. Yeah. What I find interesting here is, uh, I was just looking back, um, the Christmas of 2020, first match day of 2020, so two years ago, uh, when Norwich were in the league, just as an example um, of of some, you know, where, where teams are at, we were on 24 points back then, uh, and we were only in 14th. So we were way down the table. Um, bottom three were Bournemouth, Watford and Norwich, funnily enough, not too different to what we've seen now. Uh, Norwich were bottom of the league on 14 points. Uh, which is four bet worse than they are now. Um, and Watford and Bournemouth had 19 and 20 respectively. Uh, if they, I mean, they've got 11 and 11, Burnley and Newcastle, uh, Watford have 13. They're, like you said, um, there are some appalling sides in this league this year. Um, as Mikey said in the chat, 
uh, it, regardless of how badly we do, only three teams go down and you can't see that Norwich, Burnley and Watford improving. That's just some perspective as to how bad these teams are compared to most recent years. Um, the, the points totals for that bottom three in general are just shocking. Um, and we talked about this before, Norwich and, Norwich and Watford have the uh, uninspiring task of trying to solidify and find defenders midway through a season, which is not, it's not just like throwing a goal scorer in there who puts the ball in the back of the net as a system rework. That's tough unless they suddenly decide they're going to find the next coming of Virgil van Dijk. Um, that's that's challenging. I, I think you also have to look at the where we're positioned just from a, a f- from from a fan perspective. Like this is a this is a great situation that's unfolding just on on these change of these last few games. I mean, God, I pity the Norwich fans. Just this yo-yoing between the league, where the, like the investment doesn't properly come in, and 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 we've seen from even and this was talked about on another podcast, but even look at sides like Brentford, where they don't have to break the bank, they have a solid foundation in where they can finally get promoted. They have this system where they're creating these wonderful players, specifically up front, where they can sell on, make a profit, and build something for the future. It doesn't just have to be this thrifty. We go up, we go down, we go up, we go down horrible like can you imagine being a Burnley fan we have to watch that team play week in and week out with their awful brand of football Watford you're firing your manager constantly Newcastle you have to root for blood money like <laughs> thank god thank god I mean even Everton yeah their, their, their owners are a bit dodgy every now and again they've just hired their greatest rivals one of their most successful managers in the last 30 years and he's driving them into the ground you've got Bielsa that has clearly been found out like I don't care how many injuries they've got that team is shocking defensively awesome. uh, like the third the, you know the, the defending today for Villa against Brentford was comical just hilariously bad awful uh, you've got Patrick Vieira, who has done nothing of note in his managerial career, guiding Palace to a comfortable 11th and playing decent football because of how poor some of those lower teams are, allowing themselves to be carved apart by Patrick Vieira's tactical mouse. Oh, it's side just- note. Um, Edward, I know he scored. I don't, I don't love the look of him. I, I'm not sad we didn't sign him. And he's an arsehole. Yes, he is. Yes, he's a dickhead, big time. Um, I haven't seen much of Palace lately. Uh, unfortunately, I'll be watching 90 minutes of it in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, I've, I've not really watched too much of it lately. Um, man of the match, though, who you got? I mean, the obvious one is, is McAllister. Uh, you, don't, you don't win that game without the... He, he created and finished the first goal uh, with some help from Neil Mope. And no one, no one else on this team scores that that third goal. I just don't think maybe Trossard. You give it, Trossard might, but that, and he's the difference maker. He was the difference maker today, and he he really, really was. Um, Weppy was fantastic in parts, but McAllister was the star of the show, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, no argument from me. Um, I know we try and diversify if we can, but what's the point? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I would go as far as to say he's been the man, the man of the last of the Christmas period. The, the impact he's made has clearly been seen all the way through. Um, what and that this like us like this topped it off, right? Twenty three years old still, remember? So only young. 
Um, and he's just topped off the Christmas period with the third of three games that was just superb and, and a brace. I think that's what has also inspired some of this positivity within the club, despite obviously the results that have come around. Is If you think about the most impressive players that we've seen over the last few games, Alexis McAllister, Enoch Mwepu, Mark Kukurea, and, and Tarek Lamptey has been outstanding in some of these games too. Um, these are players that in some instances sort of feel like new signings. Some are, and some have come back from injury. Some, they're just coming into what feels like their sort of second season. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. In addition to their age, these are players that get bedded in. Yeah. Um, Mike in the chat, liking the look of Sanchez uh, at the moment for the past few games, he's became really solid. Uh, again, nothing much that was too worrying today. I think there was one moment uh, for me, where it was early on, um, one of the Everton players headed the ball in. Instead of just catching it, he just pushed it randomly out wide, which was <laughs> really random. Um, it just made me, you know, like dogs tilt their head. Like, I just, I was like, what? But other than that, he was very good today. He looked really comfortable on the ball again. Like you said, three or four times now this season, this is the Sanchez we just have to deal with. Uh, 90% of the time, he's going to be a very, very good goalkeeper. Uh, and he's still only 24. Um, so at least this period of his career, he's going to be 90% of the time perfectly great. 10% of the time, he's just going to do weird stuff. And we've just got to hope that most of those don't cost us a goal. And most haven't. Most haven't. Um, and that probably speaks to the fact that our defensive unit as a whole are, are capable of covering for those wild moments when he has them e.g. Kukurea off the off the line Lewis Dunk earlier in the season off the line Dan Byrne off the line I think at one point as well um so so you're 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 telling me basically then that he's basically the sort of the Spanish David James I would actually I would honestly go as far (laughs) as to say he is uh he is just what I imagine Allison and Edison were five years ago Allison still does some of those, oh, and they still—they both still do yeah, some yeah. mental things, but they don't—they do it like three percent at a time instead of ten. And that, Sanchez is still at the ten. Well, if we end up getting into a position where, at some point in the future, Sanchez strolls up the other end of the pitch and heads in a goal from a corner at the last gasp, then uh, he'll f- fully be Allisonified for me. If he can do that, that'd be wonderful. Uh, Alex in the chat, McAllister looks like the player we expected when we called him from loan and then didn't yes. play. Uh, I think the change in the guard between him and Gross has taken effect. Uh, yeah. And I am a massive Pascal Gross fan, uh, and he will go down as one of the biggest Premier League legends for us. He kept us up almost single-handedly that first year. He scored our first ever Premier League goal. He cost us £3 million. Like outrageous. Um, he has been a fabulous servant to this club. And I believe he is out of contract this summer. Uh, if he is, and I'm right on thinking that, if he's not willing to take a pretty big pay cut, because I believe he's quite well paid, as he should be for what he's given us the last four years, I would be more than happy to send him on. He's his, probably on his way back to Germany, uh, where he will play for 
a very lower Bundesliga team or a top, a Paderborn with Uwe. Yeah, Paderborn needs uh, to get promoted. He'd go play with the BFG. How about that? And and he will put that ball on their head every day of the week, and that will be a great time. Um, and and I would be happy to see it. But Adam, question in the chat for you, and I'm glad Mikey asked it because I was going to ask it. Uh, how are you now feeling about the much maligned Darren Byrne? Um, he seems a lot more comfortable on the ball now compared to a few weeks ago. Uh, goal today um, played a part in that McAllister goal. The second one, as you said, he drove forward very well. Uh, got brutally fouled. I'm surprised they allowed the play to go on. Uh, thank God they did. Um, yeah, what's what are your thoughts on Dan Byrne? Yes, good question. Uh, and yes, I do like giving Dan Byrne some 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 crap. Uh, he has been very very good. He was he was outstanding versus Chelsea. Um, and uh, again, I thought his plaudits against Brentford were a little bit of a reach, um, but I, I understand it. But no, I mean, I can't argue with it. Uh, do I still think he's the weakest of our central defensive group? Maybe not. I, I honestly, maybe would rather see him than Duffy now. And I think we, we've potentially seen that a little bit of a switch over recently. Depending on when Dunk comes back, I'm going to be really interested to see who starts in that 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 three pairing when we play with three centre-backs because um, you have to assume when everyone's fit and healthy, which is rare, Lamptey's obviously going to be right wing back. But Veltman's been really, really good too. So where does Veltman fit into this? Is he your sort of sub that comes in either for Lamptey and and, as, uh, and someone in the centre-back grouping? Are you playing Dunk, Webster and Byrne or are you playing Dunk, Dunk Webster and Duffy? Uh, nice problem to have. Um, but I think he's started to mean that you ask these questions now, whereas at the start of the season, Byrne was well and truly fourth, fifth choice. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Brentford. Uh, he, man of the match, um, an inform on FIFA. I didn't understand any of that. Uh, he was fine, just fine for me. Last two games, as you said, I thought I think he's been just absolutely outstanding. Um, he has just really raised his game massively again. Um, for me, what? Why not? Why would Veltman not be at centre half? Would you not want to play Veltman at centre half on that right hand side? Webster on the left, Dunk in the middle, or Dunk on the left and Webster in the middle as that back three? You certainly could. Um, you obviously lose a little bit of height, uh, and it then means if Lamptey does now, I guess you move, you just move him out and bring on a central defender. So yeah, you could do that. Um, but I think that's, I think that's the path for the future, right? Because how long is Duffy going to be at the club for going on? Um, and again, these are the types of questions with, with Gross, with Duffy, as you start to become a team that is not now, let's not look back on this, touch wood and regret saying it, but if you start to, to, to have higher aspirations than just survival in the Premier League, you start to think about which players are no longer necessarily the right fit for the club based on those aspirations. That's players like Gross. That's players like Duffy. Um, Veltman's definitely suitable for that next level. Definitely. We've talked about that. So this is where it gets really interesting, really, um, because talking of transfer window, I don't want to go too deep into it because we've got so much to talk about next yeah. week for it with the return of Craig as well. Uh, maybe um, if we lose to West He's Brom, out. he may He's well out. be... Uh, if we lose to West Brom, he may be in trouble here. Um, oh, yeah. But... <clears throat> that we have four players, five players, I believe, um, who are out of contract according to Sport Track, and they are quite good uh, at tracking the the expiration dates. Um, and they are Jurgen Lacardia, 
Definitely oh, gone. No. Uh, Danny Welbeck got that extra year. Uh, Tudor Baluta, who never really made it happen. Uh, Billy Arker, who is supposedly coming back this month for the first time ever. Uh, he is at a contract at the end of this year. Um, and uh, Pascal Gross. Yeah. So there's your four, five. Um, Tudor's definitely worry about gone. any of that. Do you? No, not really. I think the only one you have to question is is Billy Arker, really, if he comes back and it actually looks like he may have something. He's only 23. If he's legally allowed to play here now and he can sort his attitude out, because I know it's a bit of a wildfire in, in wherever he's playing over there, Colombia or Venezuela or something. Um, 2023, though, is going to be the transitional year for this club if... Uh, <laughs> If, if we go ahead and, and continue to push up the table. Uh, in 2023, there's a long list, so I'll try and be as quick as I can. Uh, 2023 out of contract names here. Adam Lallana, Shane Duffy, Andone, Mope, Trossard, Bissouma, McAllister, Veltman, Byrne, Malumbi, Steele, Clark, Van Heck, Ostergaard. Yeah, I don't love this. I don't love that. It's a lot um, of work to be done behind the scenes at this club, regardless of incomings and outgoings, uh, just to get those players signed back up if they need to get them in. Sounds um, like we need a capable a technical director, really, um, to deal with some of that. <coughs> yeah, it does. It does. Um, but that's a, that's a lot of big names uh, on that list. Um, we'll see. Well, I think we... Thankfully for for twenty twenty three contracts. Um, wait, have we talked about? Yeah, we okay, we did mention it. Yeah, but I, I think you worry less about some of those players because those will get figured out and and resolved in the in the you know tail end of the year next year. Um, now though, I think this is where the expectations need to be met and managed for the fan base as we start to demand that extra body to come in and with the cliche talk about another striker. This group of technical directors, owners, and managers that are looking to bring in players aren't now looking to bring in players for survival in the Premier League. They're looking to bring in players that, that help us take that next step and start meaning that we become a top half of the Premier League type side. That means that the laundry list of players that you maybe were targeting before might not necessarily be the same set that you were targeting uh, today and and January and then in summer transfer window. It's just something to be aware of because that list is now different and the demands are different financially. Yeah, uh, and and the competition is different. Yes, because we've now got some teams that are have been known to be willing to spend in the past that may well not have spent this month or in the summer. Um, Palace, key example. Um, Villa, who are struggling and despite having spent a lot of money, they will just throw more at it. Uh, the obvious in Newcastle. Uh, West Ham continuing to do very well. These are all teams that, if they'd have had a different season about them, say Villa was sat where we were in eight, they probably don't even think about making any signings in, in this, this next month. Um, with the Ooh, way they are now, yeah. they could be stupid and start throwing money around. Um, and and so on and so forth. So we've we've got a lot of work to do. Um, I think regardless of where we are in the table, 
if if the club decide that Danny Welbeck is probably not going to be kept on, I think you probably should go ahead and try and replace him this month. Despite the fact that I, I want a striker anyway, but if you're going to go for it, give that give that player six months to bed in. If you're going to sign a smaller, you know, like a lesser lesser known player, if you're not if you're not going to bring in Romelu Lukaku and you're going to go <laughs> a little bit lower. Let them come in and bed in for that six months. That's important to get, I think. Well, they might look at a different Belgian in that regard, right? As in at USG. And I think that's then when you start to look at the... the, uh, There's already been talks and articles out about how USG don't want to... Obviously, they're not going to say they do, but don't want to give up any of their well-performing players now because they're on a title push, which they never expected prior to this point. Um so uh, I think, yes, there might be a want to bring someone in. I think there's always been a want. I just don't know whether these, you might be able to get one of those players in the summer once the season's all said and done. But, you know, Undav isn't going to, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, go on. off you go. Yeah. I think your obvious names out there, your your Brereton Diaz's um, and others are going to be the ones you're going to be looking at. Blackburn are on a hell of a run, uh, but... They also, you know, could very quickly find themselves falling through the playoff places regardless. Yeah, um, they sell their best player, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're sat in second place, but they are, they are, Fulham have two games in hand on them. Um, so if they just draw one of those, they're back into the playoffs. Are Blackburn a team that would rather sell that asset or not? Um, we, we chose not to with Dale Stevens as an example. Um, when Burnley were coming in for him pretty heavily that summer. Uh, but there's plenty who will sell their best assets uh, if the money is right, simply to be able to keep themselves profitable and movement. Honestly. 20 goals for him, Burton Diaz, already. That's a hard... His price tag's got to be just, just brutal. I think the only... Di- the only... Re- retaliation you're going to get from that from a Tony Bloom who's going in for a player like that he will point to your Mitrovic and Solanke who are who are first and third in that top scorer table and go those two can't do it in the Premier League yeah yeah so why am I going to spend 40 million on another one that could not I'll give you 20 based on what he could do and it'll be whether Blackburn want to commit to that or not We'll see. Yeah, it's, we'll it's see. hard. It's very hard to say because that you part of them, you can imagine them going, "Well, we don't, we don't even get the, uh, we we don't entertain Premier League football if we get we give up this player." But again, yeah, there's 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 others. It would be interesting to bring a player like him in because it, it rounds out a lot of our like, sort of South American contingent that we're building in the club as well, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does. especially if we get Casado coming in in a year or so. Um, who, as we talked about before, really needs to get out of the bookending the uh, Belgian Jupiler Pro League uh, with, with USG. Uh, Big time. We'll Big see. Time. But, but, but I will say, though, oh, looking at the bench that we had today, things, again, things change quickly. But it was a good bench. Uh, we still got Lewis Dunk to come back, but we had Duffy on, on that. That who was starting centre back for us at the, the who, one of our best performing players at the start of this season. Let's not forget Tarek Lamptey, yep. Stephen Alzate again, South South American connection back from injury. 
got his first few minutes uh, last week against Chelsea. Pascal Gross, he's more than capable of coming in. Um, Jakob Moda, Sully March, Taylor Richards, and Danny Welbeck. That's not bad. Not at all. Not with Basuma going, you've got decent, decent issue. Again, no one replaces him, but decent coverage there. Um, again, I, I'm what I'm worried about is the article that Andy Naylor put out this week that said something along the lines of Brighton not under pressure to sign striker with Welbeck coming back. And we know that Naylor's a bit of a mouthpiece. He's fed his information from people in the club and the articles come out accordingly. Um, they might not be bringing someone in. I think, yeah, I think the argument to that is that they're also not going to say they're on the lookout. Sure. Um, which is one of those things that they will come out and say. Uh, we just signed that Polish lad for eight million as well, didn't we? Just about to. Yeah, I think so. Um, who I think is also going to be going on loan to USG, which why it may take a couple of days to get the announcement out because they may. Well, are we, are we their feeder back. club now? What's going on? <coughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because they were saying that they don't want Brighton and USG to become that kind of symbiotic relationship, but it has been for years already. So, not sure where that's going to come from. I mean, if you've got three Premier League clubs coming in for Van Zier, who are mid-table teams, Tony isn't going to sell them to, you know, he isn't going to sell them to Palace and to right, right. Uh, Everton even. he's If he can do himself a deal that works out best for both clubs and then comes to us, that's, that's the way the world works. That's how it's worked for a long time. It just makes a change that we're getting the benefits of that. It's an honest-to-good monopoly. Like, it's no problem uh, on some some players but again the only thing it gives gives gave us pause right was was that um was was Connolly was Connolly going do you do you give up Connolly if no if no one's because Danny's Danny's good for his injuries we know that um it's only one crock to Danny Wolbeck and suddenly you've got no one that plays up front yep um that's not okay so maybe we'll see it's gonna be an interesting month it really will, especially as you say, what decides around us do? Because yeah. everyone's going to be clamoring to strengthen. No one's no one's happy with their squad in the Premier League right now, apart from no. Manchester City, and even they don't have a striker. And they, so, yeah, they don't have an out of that striker. Uh, so you could argue no one is happy with their current lot. So there's going to be some movement. And yeah. if we can be a part of some of that positive aspect of that movement, then great. Uh, I think my fingers are crossed that we don't get any crazy offers for 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 any of our our players. Yeah. Um, because that's, I think that's all we can hope for, really. You look at someone like Basuma, a side that needs that kind of midfielder at the upper echelons of the table, and they look and go, "Well, this guy's not tied in European football competition because he doesn't play in it with Brighton." Legal trouble sorted out. But let's say he performs well at the Afcon. Uh, contract isn't particularly long left on it. Maybe we pounce now. Let's make Tony an offer he can't refuse. And then, yeah, let's not get into that situation. And I mean, you even look abroad, your Barcelona's. I got no money anymore. Ferran Torres, that was all of it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. But those sort of teams that are building back up around those divisions, Pesuma would definitely want to have a look at those. Why wouldn't he? Um, 
so we'll just have to wait and see, I think. But, but yeah, I mean, he's off to Mali now, uh, so we won't see much of him for the next month. Um, the AFCON is always good for two or three players coming out to African media and saying stuff they would never have dreamt of saying in the UK. Um, lots of clubs transfer policies have changed overnight with some of the way their players have come out and said something at the AFCON. Um, just across Europe in general, you'll every now and again have some random player come out who plays for, you know, Barcelona or whatever and come out and say, actually, yeah, I'd love to go to England. And two weeks later, they're in England because everyone's like, oh, shit, would you? Boom, <laughs> on the phone. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully he's not one of those people who's, who's mouthing off um, over in uh, wherever they're hosting it this year. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't see it. He's been... I also think the the club's done good by him. Uh, we know that he's been happy here. We know that he loves the role that he's got. Depending on whatever comes out about this legal situation, we know that the club has, I mean, he's been back in the, so he's a couple of games he was on the bench. Outside of that, he's been fully in the team. Yeah. The club, there's been no leaks about anything. Um, he's, he's in a, he's in a good spot. Um, but again, Bigger cup comes a calling, opens the checkbook up. Who knows? We just got to hope we keep him as long as possible. But again, this is why we bring this out. Everyone's talking about we want to bring the striker, we want to bring the striker. Then every other clubs are looking at our best players and saying, oh, we'd love to get them now. So let's not, not don't just focus on the what we could bring in. Just focus on keeping some of the players too. A little too early for Lamptey and Kukureya, obviously, uh, and, and hopefully someone like a Trossard, but we need to keep eyes on Basuma for sure. Yeah. Uh, just the contract length in, in alone would be yeah. enough to scare people away from Kukureya and Lamptey. What's the point? And I yeah. mean, I saw some people online saying like, oh, well, you know, Lamptey's ex-Chelsea, they're desperately in need of wingbacks. Maybe they'll come in for him. They can go sign Livramento, who's been electric for six months, for 20-odd million pounds. Chelsea are absolutely rich enough and dumb enough to just consider it a £25 million six-month loan. Like, yeah. why wouldn't they? Because they'd be paying more for Tarek. Yeah, true, so, true. I mean, uh, you've got yeah. Spurs, you've got... I don't know if you watched Emerson Royale attempt to cross the ball 500 times the other day. No, uh, yesterday. He's appalling. Um, uh, there's there's lots of sides that would clamour for... And this is the fun conversation to have. There are those those four or five players that we have that top sides would would happily have in their teams. Happily yeah. have. We're not just saying that because we're you know indoctrinated Kool Aid drinking fans. Like Basuma would start for Manchester United. I I mean I've I think I've said it for two years on here, and I've said it with you lot too, and you all said it without me even saying anything. Like just now, I cannot believe there hasn't been more newspaper rumours of Man United and Basuma. It's weird because it's it? the most obvious. It's too obvious. They are one really good holding presence midfielder away from becoming a perennial top four side with a push to the top chuck title challenge away. He's exactly what they need. It's and you stupid. never hear his name. It's weird. You never. It? In fact, you don't even hear like any of those midfield position players being put out there. It's Ronaldo. It's Sancho. It's these attacking players that are just not needed yet. Well, because they you normally make dumb decisions and now. this would be a good decision. So that's, that's probably true. why it's not been yeah. talked about. I mean, well, surely they wouldn't do this. 
Yeah, it's too obvious. It makes way too much sense. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that's everything. Um, we've smashed out a long one today. Uh, so plenty for everyone to listen to between now and next week, uh, considering you won't have a podcast for a whole week. It's a long time um, for you guys, <laughs> considering you're just three in a week, pretty much. Um, yeah. So they're pretty and, sick of yeah. us. The uh, the glorious West Bromwich Albion next. Um, Battle of the Albions is back on. Um I'm not really bothered to be honest. Um, if we were playing a much smaller side, I'd be more interested uh, because I would expect to play a lot of young lads, and I'd like to see some of those players play. Your Fergusons, especially players like that, I can't imagine he's going to get a run out against West Brom. I suspect he'll be playing a lot of the players that are on the bench today, for example. Um, yeah, and that's fine. Start like March. That. Start start Duffy. Uh, switch the keepers around. Um, yeah, uh, I think I agree. yeah, and and to me like that is fine, but I'm not too interested. I know what they're about. That's my only thing. I would love to see what Evan Ferguson does against Rochdale. I know he's not even going to play against yes. West Brom, for yeah, example. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, and then just the small matter of Crystal Palace the following week. So we'll see on a Friday. Uh, is it a Friday, Friday night? Isn't it? Yeah. Friday yeah, night. Friday night lights. It's always always a dodgy time, isn't it? Because the police always request something strange for the Palace games. So, oh, that's right. In the so Mr. Everly in the chat, is it? yeah, the West Brom just signed that Orlando City player, didn't they? Yeah, Daryl DK. Yeah, yeah, uh, four and a half year deal as well. So, uh, same manager who brought him over the first time. Ishmael is now at West Brom. He got him in at Barnsley. He was Barnsley's manager. Mm. So, yeah, he knows how to use him. We'll see. There you go. Uh, yeah, but that's all from us. Um, so we will speak to you next week uh, with the possible return of Craig, depending on if we've allowed him to return or not, given the run we're on. Uh, so uh, we will speak to you all next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Appreciate it. Peace. <laughs>